Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I ask leaders to share their stories of uncertainty, the challenges they've faced and overcome, and what we can learn from their experiences. Beth Messenger is the CEO of IOSH. A former HR director, Beth understands how important it is to include people in developing a vision and ensuring everyone is on board. She talks about the switch from being an HR director to a CEO and how putting people at the heart of the charity is crucial to the last three years of transformation in the business. Hi Bev, thanks for joining me today. Can you tell us who you are and what you do please? Uh, so um, welcome, I'm Bev Messenger, I'm Chief Exec of IOSH, which is the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. Okay, so you must see lots of uncertainty and I know from you know the conversations we've had so far that You've lived and breathed uncertainty most of your career. What's what's one standout moment for you, or or maybe there's there's lots. Um, yeah, I mean, re- reflecting on it. Um, so, by background, I'm a HR practitioner. So, HR, OD, um, and people have been my bag all my career, and I guess over the last twenty years. Um, that's moved into more of a sort of change management space. Mm-hmm. So change, transformation, using those HR skills as a practitioner, but in a leadership um, capacity. Um, so I was thinking about an example, but finding it hard because every job I've had over the last two decades has had such a high degree of change, transformation, mm. and as a result of that, uncertainty. Yeah, because change creates uncertainty it by its very nature, doesn't it? Because you move into something that's unknown. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just a, a, an absolute equation. And and I'm drawn to change personally. I'm drawn to change professionally. Um, not for the sake of it. Mm. Uh, I want to make things better. I can usually see how things can be improved. Um, and I usually go into organisations that have got a need for change and transformation. And that's not just the, um, you know, the mechanics of the organisation. I think I see a group of people who want leadership mm. and and change, um, and so I'm drawn to organisations that have got a high change agenda and and really want some active and proactive leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, lo- lots of experience and examples, and I guess. Um, the reason I was drawn to, to, to IOSH, which I probably should have said is a, a global charity, it's a membership body, uh, we've got health and safety practitioners and professionals in 135 countries, about 48,000 of them, so we've got a big reach, mm-hmm. uh, a big membership to serve, but we're also a thought leader, uh, an enabler of change, and we've got a very simple vision, which is to have a health and safety, uh, health and safe world of work. Mm. Um, so we're about. I mean, that's a big vision, isn't it? Is it? A big, it's simple words, big mm. vision. Mm. Um, and I guess when I saw the role at IOSH, I saw an organisation in need of transformation. Um, I saw massive potential because the agenda is so big worldwide, mm. uh, and the difference of practice of health and safety is very different worldwide. Mm. And I think in the UK we tend to be slightly more sort of um, cosseted shall we say and you know we're trying to work across the the globe where health and safety practice isn't as embedded in in normal day-to-day business Mm. and 
the statistics tell us 2.78 million people die every year at work. Which is a horrible number, isn't it? Which is think? a phenomenally yeah. high number. And so I saw the potential for an organisation in that space to make a difference. Mm. And, and I'm drawn to wanting to make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it was a happy marriage of, oh, great, change and transformation. I like that. I'm good at that. I really want to deeply make a difference to society <clears throat> and I think this is a vehicle that can do that mm -hmm. and I think the most important thing is I felt the the organization wanted that change because often organizations need change they either don't know they need it or they don't want to accept it right and so I think that the big thing for me was it was an organization that was open to looking at itself in a mirror and recognizing that they needed to change to fulfill their vision and they needed the leadership to do yeah. that. Yeah. So tell me about the, the shift, because I'm guessing there's some uncertainty of moving from an HR background to being a CEO. Tell, tell me about the uncertainty of that. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, it's a it big is. bold leap, isn't it, it to, is. to shift from one to the other? Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, and I guess in between being an HR practitioner and a CEO, in the middle I'd become a corporate director. Um, but... For years uh, in that space, what was important to me was, you know, the organisation I was working for being a success. It wasn't, it wasn't about me needing to lead that because I think you lead in all sorts of ways. You mm -hmm. lead from the front and the top, but you also lead by supporting other people through mm -hmm. um, through their leadership journey. Yeah, and I'm a very comfortable number two. Um, and I and I I don't necessarily feel that I need the credit or the limelight. I want to be associated with change and improvement and, and, and making a difference, but I don't need to be the person who, who gets the you know gets the accolade for it. Mm. You're not the hero going yeehaw, follow me. No, well I don't I don't think it's not so. your style. It's not not my style. Mm. And then in uh, about three or four years ago, I I got to the point in my career where. Um, I was frustrated in an organisation that wasn't, I didn't feel, being terribly well led through change. And, and I just thought, stop messing about here. Um, stop being number two and go to an organisation that needs your skills and experience mm. and, and lead it. Mm. And prove to yourself, or not as the case may be, um, that that's what you bring to the table. You bring uh, a set of technical skills through change. <clears throat> But actually, that your leadership style, which I think is, you know, open and honest and full of integrity and authenticity, those are the things that I want to be my brand, mm. um, can really accelerate change. Mm. Um, and I think the journey that IOSH has been on and the successes that we've had over, you know, the last three years, um, I'm really proud of. I'm really proud of, but it is scary. Mm. Um, it is uncertain because the uncertainty is: well, I can do it as a number two. I can do it as a HR practitioner. Can I do it when all eyes are on me? Mm. And I think um, somebody told me when I got the job about being a chief exec that you know you are utterly exposed and visible every single minute of the day, mm. um, and that's true. And I hadn't mm. appreciated that that you know when you make a cup of coffee in the kitchen when you go down the corridor to see somebody you are constantly being observed mm. and it's not that people are trying to catch you out but they are intuitively and unconsciously measuring is what she's saying the same as what she's doing 
is it really authentic can we trust her yeah you know there's a huge leap of faith i'm asking people to make to mm. on this journey mm. with me and they need to be able to 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 test that and trust it yeah um so it's interesting isn't it it's that that leap of the visibility because i always say you know senior leaders are are all visible so as an hr director you would have been visible mm. but it's another another leap again isn't it to mm. a to a ceo very much so yeah yeah very much. um what support did you have around you to help you make the leap um well i've, I've always had um a strong network of professional colleagues so sort of like-minded hr directors <clears throat> who equally some have made that shift and have shared their sort of insights and experience mm. i've been fortunate in having some really good mentors uh, one woman in particular a very experienced chief exec who put a lot of faith in me and promoted me from a HR director into a corporate director. Mm -hmm. So saw something in me uh, and I've, I've taken that relationship w with me wherever I've gone. Uh, and I've, you know, I've always had a coach somewhere I can go and really sort of bear all mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and, and, and share how I'm feeling about mm -hmm. that journey at any one point in time. Um, but also not afraid of saying when I don't know um, and being making myself vulnerable in front of my team mm. you know, to a certain degree mm -hmm. because I think people need to see that um, you're on a journey too and you don't have all the answers the uncertainty um, is as much for me because yeah you know yes I've done transformation and change many times before but you never really know if you're going to land everything mm. because circumstances change, people are different. Mm. You use your tried and trusted methods, but it's still a leap of faith for you to, yeah. to think, you know, can I get this organisation where I think it's got the potential to be? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many variable factors. Do you think that helps bring people with you, um, being honest about not knowing and not having all the answers? Do you think that helps people feel comfortable that you're all in it together. Yeah, I, I, I do, and I definitely do. Um, and I think it, that the most important thing, though, is that, that that's not seen as contrived. Mm. So, mm. I, you know, I, I know people, I've worked with people, I've been led by people who, um, oh, today's the day I show some vulnerability, you know. and It's, it's not real, is it? it's fake. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, if you walked around the corridor here, people know quite a lot about me and know quite a lot about my life. They know quite a lot about my likes and dislikes. It, it's really genuine. Mm. So mm. I think when you do put yourself out there and say, do you know what? I don't know. But what I do know is, um, you know, we're in this together. We'll find a way. We'll plan it, um, you know, and, um, and I think people buy into that. Mm. that they've got some faith. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's the important thing, isn't it? Is having the faith that that you are in it together and you'll find a way. Because I think that just being vulnerable and saying I don't know mm. on its own leaves people, everybody, feeling exposed. Because mm. sometimes people want you to know, don't they? Yeah. So it's a real balance, isn't it, between having the answers and, and not. And, and there's a there's a massive expectation on you as a chief exec to have all the answers. Mm. And it's like you, you know, you stop being a human being with all those frailties and all those uncertainties because you put your CEO hat on and everybody thinks you want, well, you'll know everything because, you know, they're paying you a lot of money and you've got that job title. Mm. And that obviously just isn't, isn't mm. true. Well, and especially not because you come into the organisation, you didn't grow up through it, did yeah. you? You came no. in 
you no. came in as a CEO, so yeah. you can't possibly yeah. know all the answers. But it, but it's also about having really adult to adult conversations. Yeah. As a leader, that um, you know, although I think my style is is quite paternalistic. You know, I you know this organisation is my pseudo family. You know, I look after them. I feel a, a very strong sense of responsibility, a very strong sense of. Um, you know, ownership, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I care, you know, some of them drive me nuts, but I care about them all, each and every one of them, and that is a huge responsibility mm. for a chief exec. Mm. Um, but yeah, that I don't think people always realise you're carrying. Mm. Mm. Yeah. When you came in, did you did you know what you wanted to do as soon as you came in, or did you did it take some time to work out? Yeah, there's some... There's some pretty obvious things from the due diligence I'd done prior to, to joining. Um, but I think anybody who comes in and thinks that they can map across a previous transformation journey onto a new organisation is a bit stupid, really. <laughs> um, so unless you spend the first, you know, however long it takes, and it didn't take very long here, listening, really deeply and attentively listening mm. to people's stories, to what's important to them, to your stakeholders, finding out what they want from you and what they want the organisation to be, mm. what sort of leadership the, the organisation wants and needs, mm. and then triangulating that with the hard data. So, mm. you know, the data tells you a whole load of stuff about how you're performing, you know, financially, risk, people, all of that. But that's only part of the, the story for me. You need to triangulate that with human stories about how people feel about being here. Mm-hmm. So... One of the first things that we did, um, so when I joined, one of the, the um, key documents for me was to see the staff survey. Right. And they'd done a staff survey, I don't know, 18 months prior to me joining. And I said, oh, great, you know, you've done a staff survey. Not all organisations do, that's good. So, you know, got the results, yeah, got the results. So what did we do with these? So we didn't do anything with them. Okay. So if I go out now and say to the same group of people, tell me your story and fill in this staff survey. They're going to say, aren't they? Well, you didn't do anything with them the last time you asked me, even though it wasn't me. So I think in terms of faith in the system, that wouldn't have been there. So we said, right, how can we um, take the temperature of the organisation in another way? So we had what we called our graffiti wall day. So we blocked off some of our conference rooms and we said people could go in there throughout the day with post-it notes and just put stuff on the wall, things they liked about the organisation, things they didn't like about the organisation, stuff that was working, stuff that wasn't working. And I forget now how many thousands of post-it notes we had. Wow. I kid you not. That's a lot of reading. <laughs> That's a lot of reading. But I, and the one thing about IOSH staff that I really love is when you ask them to contribute, they do. Brilliant. And so we literally had yellow walls and we then started to group them into themes and headings and and that actually became um, a huge piece of our transformation programme. So Mm. our transformation programme was in three parts. Uh, One was about ways of working, Mm -hmm. which actually is very similar to what I've done elsewhere, tried and trusted methods. And um, another big chunk was uh, our people, uh, our people work stream. And that was really informed by all of those post-it notes, what Mm. people wanted to see, what they'd been promised in the past, what really got under their skin. 
Um, and we've used that as a touchstone ever since to go back to. And we're still doing work now that we can say this came out of post-it notes. So there's right. a clear line of sight mm. between you said this and we're doing this. Mm. Mm. But equally, it gave me quite a lot of feedback and narrative to say, I know you don't like this, but I'm sorry, that's how it's going to be. Because life isn't like that mm. and so it gave me a real opportunity to show early on that I'd tell them when things were going well and we that's great but also I'd give them some hard messages when I thought they would got it wrong yeah um, and to say that we can't do this because yeah. of yeah. for whatever reason yeah and you know I mean and I and then know, people I, have a choice then don't yeah, they whether they, do. they come on the journey and or not and, and that is critical for me I've always said you know, be very clear on your vision, all the classics, you know, leadership management, be, you know, compelling vision, be clear, all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, be open and honest and give people choices because mm. not everybody's going to want to jump on the bus with you. Mm. So then you treat them properly and you give them options. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we did that early on. And that, and that really did, you know, sort of stand us in good stead, really, for yeah. the progress that we've made. Amazing. Do you think it's helped you um having been in hr for most of your career to to create a vision like that because i very few ceos that i talk to create their vision by saying okay let you tell me what's working what's not working and then we'll design the vision based on on all of that feedback to to be that inclusive is quite unusual I mean, quite often you hear of boards yeah. that sit behind closed doors and they thrash out what their strategy is and what their vision is, and then, and then they consult on it. Yeah, um, maybe it is. I mean, I'd, I'd I'd like to think it's not about being an HR practitioner, although I've obviously learned through that route. You know, if you don't consult early, if you don't consult meaningfully, you know, you don't get the end result that you want. Um, I think it is my natural style. Mm. It's about I'm fascinated by people. Mm. Um, you know, you can't do anything without people. You can't do anything without people being on side and motivated and, mm. and, and interested in what you're doing. Mm. So why wouldn't you start there? Don't start with the numbers. Don't start with the mechanics of things. Start with the people who are going to deliver you the numbers and deliver you the mechanics. So for me, it really is. It sounds a bit cheesy. It's all about the people. Mm. They're the that first and foremost, that's all I'm interested in. Because um, it's the people who are going to deliver yeah, the vision and deliver the results of IOSH, isn't and, it? And, you know, I've, I've made presentations on this um, that actually, you know, that, that, that is really what I focus on. I mean, I know my KPIs, I know my numbers, I know my strategy and all of that. But actually, what do I worry about or think about all day long is... Mm, they don't be very happy today outside the office. I'll just go and touch base with them. Something's going on they're not happy about. So it's all about where my staff are at, mm. um, how they're feeling, what's going on in their personal lives without being intrusive. Because people bring their whole selves to work. Mm -hmm. And people want to genuinely do a good job. They're mm. not coming in to sabotage, you know, <laughs> on a Monday morning. You know, they, I think everybody genuinely, I believe... Mm. you know wants to do a good job mm. they just need to be led and shown the way and supported and course corrected when they're not getting it right mm. um so i you know i like i like harmony i like consensus but we have a phrase here it'll be on my tombstone you know but this is not a democracy mm -hmm. occasionally you know there are times when you know i say this is what we're doing you might not like it but this is the clear rationale why we're doing it mm. and we're doing it yeah and i think that 
balances the amount of time that we have consensual decision making. Brilliant. What's been your biggest challenge? Here. Mm. Um, it certainly hasn't been about getting people on board. People were hungry for the leadership and <laughs> I don't know if this was a compliment or not. Somebody said, Beth, we were so we were so desperate for leadership we'd have we'd have followed you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> there is a compliment in there somewhere, but you have to dig for it. Well, there is, but 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 I'm also guessing that that would only last for about three months, yes. wouldn't it? True. And true. and you've been on this journey for yeah. three years, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe maybe in the early days that's <laughs> yeah. true, but yeah, yes, the, uh, that that is true. Um, I think I think the most challenging thing is just having the stamina to keep going uh, when you are very visible. Mm. And when you are getting a bit personally frustrated, mm -hmm. um, and the volume of, uh, of stuff that we needed to do, mm. so it just felt like we were doing a lot of activity simultaneously mm. to catch up mm. um, and put us in the space we needed to be in that I absolutely felt we could be in. Mm. So um, just just through some legacy issues, we were just um, I don't want to say fighting on all fronts because that sounds like it's combative and it wasn't. It was just there was a high volume of things that needed changing. Mm. And and like in all organisations, you know, this is a complex business, more complex than people appreciate. The interdependencies are massive. So you'd start a project over there thinking that that was nice and discreet and then realised once you got started that it had a knock-on effect all over the place. Mm. So you couldn't do nice discreet work streams, everything was interconnected. Mm. And so it just made for quite high workload volume. Mm. And, you know, I'm not always great at looking after myself. Um, so self-care something I've tried to work hard on over the last three years that mm. I push myself very hard. I don't, who knows, they speak for themselves, I don't think I push other people hard, but what I do is I recruit really ambitious, motivated people, so mm -hmm. they push themselves really hard. Mm -hmm. And I think we've all had to occasionally take a step back and say, are we just trying to do too much? Yeah. Because we're really motivated and we want it to be as good mm -hmm. as it can be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a challenge, that's yeah. a real personal challenge. Yeah. And that I don't project on people this heroic, you know, I can be here 12 mm. hours a day, mm. you know. Always. Yeah, because we're all human, aren't yeah. we, at the end of the day? Yeah. Do you, um, are you, are you close to the end of the journey or do you think that the journey never stops? <laughs> I, I don't think the journey ever stops. I think, I think we are, um, we've made massive amounts of progress mm. that makes me feel that we can sort of um, really start getting stuck into the strategic stuff. So my transformation was about making sure the organisation was fit for purpose and could support members to do what they needed to do and support the charity and its charitable objectives. Um, and I think a lot of the infrastructure and foundations are now in place and we're, we're really starting to fly with some of the strategic work that we're doing globally. Mm. Um, but I don't think it... I think you kid yourself if you think it's over. Yeah. Uh, transformation will eventually... Um, and is just about at that point, actually, of moving into business as usual. But mm. one of our core values is continuous improvement. So it never stops. Mm. There's always got to be that eye on how can we do things better, more cheaply, more effectively, more inclusively. Mm. Um, 
So I think that's bred into the culture here. Yeah. That uh, that's that's just how we do things. We're not going to ever be complacent. And that that requires different skills, then, doesn't it? Because I think you know, in the in the past, when people have seen transformation as a this is a start and there's an end date, and then everything just becomes easy and we do the same mm. same job again. Mm. What I'm hearing is th- that there's an evolution mm. of continuous improvement yeah. now, which means that there'll be continual change and um, and continual evolution. Mm. What, what what skills do you think are needed in the organisation to enable people to embrace that? Because, you know, you're, I'm guessing you've still got people in the organisation that don't like change, um, as well as those who love it and embrace it. So how, how do you, what, yeah, what skills do you think are needed to? Well, I think uh, it's interesting to say about people who, who don't think um, they need change. So we've, we, we have done two staff surveys now, and the results have been phenomenally good they, they are actually results any CEO would kill for and I do think that comes from the amount of time we as a senior leadership team put into the people mm. um, but the numbers for people recognising the need for change at IOSH are the sort of 80-90% mm. so there are not many people who don't think we need to change mm. and continually change mm. and I think people do recognise now that we are into a period of evolution and not revolution right um, but they do need different skills. Um, and it may be that some of the people that we bought in three years ago to do that kickstart transformational piece may feel actually the organisation's in a space now where they want to be somewhere different because, you you know, that often is the case. But we need people to be, you know, intellectually curious. We need people to constantly challenge themselves and those around them um, to not be complacent. Mm. Um, we need to be much more outward looking because we're still in a competitive space. People don't think IOSH has got competitors, but it does. It does as a membership body. It does in terms of our, our product portfolio. Mm-hmm. So it's about not looking inward, looking outward and making sure we're ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and bringing in, you know, fresh eyes as yeah. well that, uh, we, you know, we, we keep reinventing ourselves. Mm. Um, and also we have a really strong line of sight to our membership, which, you know, ultimately we're here to serve. So we've just done a very um, successful member survey. Uh, something like 20% of our members responded, which is really, That's really high, yeah. good. Uh, mm. And it is above the benchmarking in professional bodies. Mm. Um, and they're not slow at telling us what they want to see get better. So mm. that gives us our next set of sort of uh, work streams going forward to try and keep improving on that. Mm. Do you think it's it's helped people embrace change because they've felt included? Do you think that's a big part of it? Because, you know, when you're saying 89, 90% of people are um, are ready for more change, that's quite, that's quite high. Yeah, it's high. Um, is that because they felt included and therefore they don't feel done to? Because I think often people reject change because they feel like it it's dumped on them, they don't have a say in it, and therefore they resist it. Yeah. Do you think including people is, is the way? Yeah, I do. I mean, uh, I would hope nobody in this organisation, with it, the odd exception, and nowhere's perfect in that sense, um, people will say they understand the need for change, they've been included in uh, that conversation, uh, they've influenced how the change will be mm. and they've influenced um, the implementation and the outcomes. Mm. Um, so one of the, the critical pieces of work that we did early on was to come up with new values and behaviours for the organisation 
and I think and you see that around the building you see that in our culture you see that played out in our staff surveys and and I think you know at the heart of those things about you know being one IOSH being in it together you know having excellence in what we do having integrity I think people do feel that they are part of the change mm. and even if they don't agree with it they understand why we're doing it that to me is the critical bit yes, it yeah. is about not having it done to you but it's about having a really clear line of sight between what you're doing and why you're doing it so people can't say it's change for the sake of change because that mm. drives people mad mm. so you've got to be able to really clearly articulate why what you're doing now either isn't fit for purpose it's broken or it needs improving mm. and then that's an undeniable truth then that mm. people i think are more um amenable to signing up to mm. And you know, and we've had we've had people leave, and, and that's absolutely fine. That's back to the honesty, and that's back to the choices. Yeah. Um, if this isn't the organisation for you, that's that's great. We wish you well, um, but we are on a mission mm. to deliver a, a safe mm. and healthy world of work, and we're going to have an organisation that's fit for purpose for our membership, uh, and to deliver that. And nothing's going to get in my way of that despite I want everybody being on the journey mm. with us. Um, and there's a real integrity with that because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm hearing it's not it's not just, talk. you know, so many people talk about it's all about the people, but actually for you it genuinely is all yeah. about the people and it's the people who are delivering the results and creating the vision um, and everything else. Yeah. What keeps you awake at night, Bev? Apart from the wind last well, night. Probably. Well, and, and actually I sleep like a log, so not a lot does keep me uh, awake uh, awake at night. Um, I, I, I think um, people's well-being, that um, I'd say that we're all very ambitious, we're all very hard-working, we're all signed up to the vision. You don't come into jobs in charities to, you know, um, for the money or you know for big you know share bonuses or whatever you come in it because you believe in what you're trying to achieve mm. and because of that um, you know we're trying to do so so much so quickly to improve things either for our membership um, or for you know the world of work and we work in some you know emerging um, countries where you know the health and safety practices is, is pretty poor let's you know let's not beat about the bush mm. and so for us making a difference to people's lives and that's how I feel I feel like I go home and I've you know I potentially saved a life today mm. by some activity that we've done um but what there mustn't be is an internal price to be paid for that yes. yeah. by our own people being um you know um overworked shall we say mm. Um, now we're doing huge amounts as you'd expect the organisation we are we've got health and well-being programmes we've got resilience programmes we've got coping through change programmes we've got lots of supportive activity and back to the adult to adult conversation you know people do have to be responsible for their own self-care mm. um, but there just are times when I think that, that how motivated people are um, means we just have to check stop and check ourselves a bit mm. Of course, we can always do more. Of course, we can always do faster. But yeah. we mustn't pay the ultimate price of that of, of, of our own well-being. Yeah, it's ultimately about your health and safety at work as well, isn't it? <laughs> well, you've got to live and breathe what you what you're out there mm. to telling the rest of the world. Of course, mm. you have. Yeah. 
Thanks, Bev. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it too. Thanks, Jude. Most people say it's all about people, but Bev actively articulated how she has transformed IOSH by listening to people in the organisation and including their advice and input in the vision. She balances that beautifully by recognising that hard decisions have to be made as well and not everyone will be on board all of the time. It takes a highly tuned sensitivity to know when to include the voices and when to take a stand and make your own decision. Where is your focus? Is it on the commercial decisions or is it listening to people with empathy? How do you find the balance between the two? That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, and I hope you were as inspired as I was. Keep leading and come back soon for the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.